السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام عليك صلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أجمعين I wanted to begin by thanking everyone who joined us this evening especially our guests who came with Reverend Mariah thank you so much for all of you we really have enjoyed your presence and the beautiful conversations that took place before the service and then hopefully those that will take place after and that this is the first Mawlid Thursday night gathering that Hakim Salim Khan who has visited us on two other occasions his third visit here and continues to that give and to share and his great words of wisdom and we Muslims have a tradition where we like to respect our elders and so it is that very that unbecoming for me to speak in the presence of Hakim Salim Khan someone that we've benefited from immensely in the past few years and who represents a tradition that really is goes hand in hand with the great teachings of religion one of the great scholars of Islam his name was Imam Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i he said al-ilmu ilman knowledge is of two types ilm al-adyan wa ilm al-abdan the knowledge of religion and the knowledge of medicine and really what he meant by that was is that they go hand in hand they're interconnected and religious people should be the healthiest people in all meanings of health beginning of course with the spiritual and religious dimension and then moving beyond that to the psychological and emotional dimension and then including definitely the physical dimension and then the two external dimensions of health which relate to social health being able to interact with people in a healthy way and to be productive in society and then environmental health and he is someone that we've learned many of these meanings that we are so in need of to be truly realigned in all of these senses and that so much of the time which we live that we do feel at times disconnected we do feel at times disjointed and this is really the purpose of coming together to worship of coming together to remember to supplicate together to be together really it's so that you and I can become more wholesome is that we can learn what it is that we should be doing as human beings the purpose of life that we are striving to achieve and to live and ultimately to experience and alhamdulillah from the blessing of Allah he allows us to come back time and time again and we hope that there'll be benefit every time that it is that we come that there'll be a further polishing of the heart and a chipping away because that the heart really was created to know Allah and every time that we remember him every time that we worship him every time we fulfill a commandment or avoid a prohibition this is what's happening we start chipping away we start chipping away and chipping away until eventually the heart which the greatest metaphor of which is like a mirror is that it starts to reflect what it was created to reflect and that the light that then comes into the heart and when the veil is lifted and that we start to really understand what the divine impact on creation really is and philosophers for centuries and they still do and now it's scientists 
are striving to understand the relationship between humankind, the cosmos, and the Creator. And increasingly, even though that we seem to know so much about the physical world, but we actually that keep finding out how little it is that we really know. That even matter itself, to some degree, is a type of mystery. It seems like it's there right before us. It seems like it's whole. But when we learn that we're really slowed down light, what really are we? And that when we try to understand this with the mind only, yes, that we can use instruments, a microscope or a telescope to see amazing things at different levels of God's creation. But really, we only understand the relationship between humankind and the cosmos to Allah, to God, when the veil is lifted from the heart. Because in Muslim theology, we don't believe that God is a part of His creation, nor do we believe that He's separate from His creation. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's all we can really do with the realm of theology. The rest is experiential theology, where that veil is lifted. And that this is the job of the prophets, is to lay the way for us to leave a set of teachings, that when we abide by them, it will reconnect us and reorient us with everything in creation. And this idea of orientation or reorientation is something that's very important to Muslims and that the teachings of the Prophet and really all of the Prophets that the minute teachings and the that larger teachings and everything in between it really it's about reorientation and we're supposed to reorient ourselves ultimately in relation to our Creator but we reorient ourselves in relation to time we reorient ourselves in relation to place and that we reorient ourselves also in relation to people. And a number of the aspects of our religion are constantly teaching us how to do that. How do we reorient ourselves in relation to history? How do we do it in relation to time? How do we do it in relation to place? And teaching after teaching is really there to reorient us so that we can be in line with the way that our Lord has created His creation. In these past few sessions, we have been looking at a very important concept, and this concept is called Futuwa. This translates as spiritual chivalry. So every week we've been looking at some of these traits of Futuwa, spiritual chivalry. And this really is the way that it's presented in the books of the Islamic scholars to be a composite virtue that represents the way of the prophets who came before us. Because we actually believe that Futuwa started with Adam. And then that it was taught that in every successive generation, until that it was the prophet learned directly from God and then taught his companions who transmitted it to this day. And if you look at the book that we're reading from, Imam Abu Abdurrahman al-Sulami, what he says is that he ties this great trait of spiritual chivalry to all of the prophets. This is how they were. So we see the word fatah in the Qur'an that's spoken of in the context of that the great prophet Joseph. We see it in the story of the sleepers of the cave, the companions of the cave, as the Qur'an calls them. 
We see it in relation to that Joshua who that took a journey with Moses. And so you see it in a number of different occasions. And that the greatest example, though, of Futuba, of spiritual shiva in the Quran, is that of Abraham. Where it's the story of the what is the spiritual meaning, which is about breaking of the idols. And even though that this was something that happened, he actually did break the idols that were being worshipped, is that the spiritual import of that is breaking the idols of the ego. And one of the reasons is that it's so important for us to study Futuwa because that in a time where there really has been a breakdown in the transmission of virtue, it's embracing this way in all of its different aspects because that there's a Futuwa, a spiritual shivri that relates to our own self, that relates to people, and then ultimately relates to our relationship with Allah, is that we start to piece together that all of these different ways that we know that it is that we should be. And so we've been looking each week at one trait of spiritual chivalry, chipping away at some of trying to really that embrace this way of understanding how it is that you and I should be, so that we can live up to and follow the great way of the prophets who came before us. So we will take one other one very briefly tonight, and that... In Arabic it says, al Futuwati. This is how he always starts it. It is from Futuwa to An Yara which translates. It is from Futuwa to view that what remains from your wealth, as opposed to that which uh, is what remains from your wealth is that which was spent in charity, not that which was withheld from spending. So the meaning of this is, is that usually we think that if we have wealth and we give that wealth out, and I had $100, I gave out 50 I only have $50 left. That's not the view of the prophets who want to give us a very different worldview. They're constantly teaching us to have a faith-based perspective on life. And I want to share several examples of how exactly the Prophet ﷺ, may the peace and blessings of God be upon him, did this. Because you see this consistently in his teachings to his companions, is that he always wanted them to understand things correctly first and foremost, to have the correct conception. But really you could describe it as a faith-based perspective of seeing things as they truly are because that if you limit yourself to this world or a worldview that is limited to this world and you don't take into consideration the everlasting afterlife is that the perspective will be limited. So this trait is teaching us is that actually that part of spiritual chivalry is to see what remains for you is actually the wealth that you give out, not what you retain. And there's a beautiful story in a hadith collection of Imam al-Tabarani where that our Prophet ﷺ is that he and his wife slaughtered a sheep and that or a goat and then they distributed the meat amongst their neighbors. And you'll get these very beautiful uh, benefits in all of the hadith. The most beloved part of the goat or the sheep to the Prophet ﷺ was the dhira'ah. And, and this is the forearm or the shank. 
and that that was saved to cook for the Prophet. And when his wife Aisha came back to him, that she said to him that مَا بَقِيَ عَنْدَنَا إِلَّا The only thing that remains from the goat we slaughtered is that the foreleg, is the shank. And then the Prophet looked at his blessed wife and said كُلُّهَا بَقِيَ إِلَّا All of it remains except the shank. He was correcting her perspective. Outwardly, yes, that's what remained. But because that they gave all of that meat out in charity, that's really what remained for them with God. That they're going to receive reward from it and benefit from it. And we see a number of other instances of this. On one occasion, the Prophet was with his companions and he wanted to teach them a lesson. So he said, Atadruna manin muflis. Who is the bankrupt person? And some of those present commented in a way that we would all think about. Is that he is the one who, that has no wealth or any property. Has nothing. And then the messenger of God said, that the muflis, the one bankrupt from my community, is the one who will come on the day of judgment. And he's prayed and he's fasted. He's given out his alms. And, but he's come with a long list of sins. He's insulted one person. He's that taken from the honor of someone else. He's misappropriated the wealth of this person. He spilled the blood of this person. He hit this person. And so then the Prophet said that person will sit and remain until people on the Day of Judgment will come and take from his good deeds, from that prayer, from that fasting, and so forth and so on, until that it might, they might take all of his good deeds. So we think of someone being bankrupt in this world as being one of the worst things that could happen to you. But if you consider your true wealth to be the good deeds that you do, is that we want to go on the Day of Judgment and that not have had done those things so they remain with us. The true bankrupt person is the one that the deed, their good deeds will be taken from them one by one until there's nothing left. In a, another that narration, the Prophet spoke of it in terms of migration. And one of the very interesting things, I listened to a lecture recently of Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and... Um, he said that it's really part of the way of prophets who came before us is that many of them were like refugees because many of them had to abandon their homeland to go somewhere else. We see that, of course, in the story of the Prophet Muhammad who migrated from Mecca and Mukarramah to Medina and Munawwara to the north. But we also see many of the other prophets before us were like that refugees in a sense. We know famously in the story of Moses and the Exodus and many of the prophets who came before us as well. And so, that in the context of migration, is that the prophet said, Al-Muhajidu, the one migrating, Man hajra manahallahu anhu. The one is, the true migrant, is the one who migrates away from things that will be harmful to him. Vices, things that if they did them, they will harm you spiritually. The true migrant is the one who is doing this constantly. And not the one who physically moves from one location to another. Although that could happen. 
But there's constantly a fleeing to God in that sense. The Quran says, Fafirru ilallah, flee unto God. And the scholars there mention a number of different meanings of fleeing. Flee from disbelief to belief. Flee from sin to good deeds. Flee from being in a state of heedlessness to being in a state of wakefulness. In all of these different meanings of fleeing. And then, one of the, the great examples as well, is that one day our Prophet was on a reed mat, and his great companion, Omar comes into his presence. And the Prophet leaned over to speak to someone. And Omar had noticed is that the mat had put lines in the side of the Prophet. And when Omar saw this, he started to cry. Because he said, this is the Prophet of God. And then when the Prophet noticed that he started to cry, he says, what's making you cry? And he said that, I've heard stories of the king, the Persian kings and the Byzantian kings and that the way that they live here in this world and then I see you in this position that you are in knowing you, a prophet, are the true king. You are the true king. And I've seen and heard stories of other kings and I'm hurt that you're living so simply. And then the prophet looked at him and he says, Allah." Are you not content to that, that let them have the world and that we have the afterlife? A completely different way of approaching things is that what we really want is to that have dominion in the hereafter. No matter how much we have here in this world, it's going to go. And that the more that we cling to it, the more that it's going to run away from us. The more that we learn to let go, the more that it comes. And even though we like to cling to it, when we cling to it, that all kinds of things come with it. And this is why this is spoken of in the context of Futuwa, a truly spiritually chivalrous one, is that when it comes to our wealth, when we give out charity, is that we should not be attached to the fact that we gave. We should not be attached or worry to that the fact that it might have diminished our wealth or something of that nature. On the contrary, we should realize what we gave out really is what remains. So this is one of the very beautiful teachings that of our religion and of our Prophet wasallam. that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq in all of our different affairs. May He open up our hearts to be able to receive His mercy and to facilitate for us good action and bless us to always live up to the standards of spiritual excellence in all of our different affairs. Ya Rabbi Alameen, may Allah Ta'ala protect us and our children and our community and to bless us to devote ourselves entirely to Him inwardly and outwardly. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadan wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Page 15.